Hello, my name is Ryan Broderick, and my nose is very sunburned right now because I sat in a park for the first time in a while uh, the other day, and I uh, didn't wear any sunscreen because it was still cold, and I forgot that the sun can be out and it can still be cold. Wow. Okay. Yeah. My name is Luke Bailey, and last week, I'm trying to remember where I was, like 10 days ago-ish, last that weekend, I went for a walk. Uh, up to the football. I took a long walk. I went through the marshes rather than direct up the high road. I went for a walk, watched the football, covered, came back. So in total, I was out for like two, two and a half hours. And I was sunburned for like four days. When you say watch the football, you mean like you went inside to watch football though, right? I was in the stadium. So I was like, oh. I was in a covered stadium. Oh. I walked to the stadium to watch football, watched the football at the stadium and then left. But the stadium was covered. So yeah, I was out for about like, I don't know, probably for 90 minutes at like the height of the English spring and I got some. Well, how you, you know, pasty you, I am. You you have very sensitive skin. Yes, like people, a, like a like a delicate baby. People can't tell how delicate you are through audio, so <laughs> I'm glad that we're letting them know. Just incredibly delicate. Welcome to the Content Minds. This week we're talking about basically like a a, a, a long running <laughs> hyper fixation for me and Luke. We're talking about the Facebookification of Netflix. That's that's sort of the main topic. We talk about this a lot in our subscriber-only episodes. L- Luke is kind of obsessed, actually, with uh, the the machinations of Netflix. Uh, but we'll be talking about that in relationship to the quick and quiet death of CNN Plus and a bunch of other kind of weird things that are happening in the streaming world. But before we get to that, hey, Luke, how was the internet this week? It's hard to describe because the internet has been bought by Elon Musk. Like, <laughs> we obviously talked about this a little bit, what, <laughs> last week, I think? Uh, I don't know. It's been a long, it's been a long few weeks. The way that Ryan always asks me this question, hey, how's the internet this week? And basically, what I am responding to on that question is, here's how Twitter's been that week. Right. Like Twitter is is the, it's the, the id. The, is id right? I think it's right. It's the id of the internet. It's where the actual global conversation is the closest thing to like a hive mind. Uh, and it's on the internet. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Whatever happens on Twitter basically affects other places. Twitter can get infected by other things like Reddit and Tumblr feed into it. But broadly speaking, Twitter is where it happens and then explodes out into the world. So Twitter is, for a good, in a good sense, the internet. It's been bought by the richest man to have ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On an interesting whim that Jack Dorsey seems to have endorsed, which I find, I don't know, interesting. Jack Dorsey made a lot of money from that. Yeah, but Jack Dorsey already had a lot of money. Like, he's made like a billion dollars. He's, he's already had a few billion dollars. He's fine. It's not. It doesn't materially change his life. But, you know, Jack Dorsey also really wanted the company to be taken private, which yep. has now happened. And, you know, Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk seem to get along, which is a whole other thing. You know, I don't want to be a conspiratorial, but it it would be fascinating if uh, all of a sudden Jack Dorsey became re-involved with Twitter again. Uh, that would be super, super weird turn of events, wouldn't it, Luke? I mean, that's going to happen, isn't it? I It was one of those things where I he, thought... He's the only guy who's ever run it well. It was one of those things where I thought it, and then once I thought it, I was like, well, I can't unthink that, because it would be it sure would be interesting if Bitcoin maximalist Jack Dorsey 
left Twitter, and then a guy that he kind of was uh, philosophically aligned with when it comes to both Twitter and crypto then came and bought it. And then Jack Dorsey suddenly, oh, look at that. I'm I'm back at Twitter. Wouldn't that be weird? I mean, I think it does have good. I don't know. I, I, think, I think that Jack Dorsey has run Twitter better than anyone else has. And I do think he, he views it I, I kind of like he views Bitcoin, Bitcoin as a public utility, which I think is interesting and probably good. And the fact that he also thinks that Elon Musk thinks that, that's I'm less convinced about. But, you know, that's interesting. It is interesting. It's all very interesting. What's really funny is that, like, it has happened, but it hasn't really happened yet. So, like, yesterday was just a lot of people on Twitter being like, okay, here's – and I, I even did this. It's like, okay, here's what could happen. And it's like, we don't know. We have no idea. Nobody knows. No. I just know that things are already annoying because like really annoying people are like all revved up now uh, at the idea of it, which is they're so revved up. They're just revved up. You know, all the freaks are out now. It's it's really annoying. So, yeah, um. <laughs> <laughs> like that's 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 the main thing is that a really uh, horrible group of people feel like they now can uh, just like trash the place, which, you know, we just got done with that culture from the Trump era. So it's great that it's back. You know what it feels like, right? Is I started thinking that the, the internet, and by internet I mean Twitter, right. has had like different levels of, of like of being a party. So level one was you're in Shoreditch or Williamsburg or, or wherever you are at. Uh, you go to like a nice roof party in somewhere that you've not heard of, you don't know people, and it's fun. The vibes are good. There's like I don't know, 25 people there, and it, it and it's it's genuinely fun because it has great vibes. And this is like 2013 ish, 20 probably 20 to 2013 ish. Yeah, and you're like, okay, this is cool. And then a few years later, you kind of get invited to the same party, and you go back, and suddenly it's got like big, and it's oh big, and it's got dark, and like you get you know uh, uh you know into like half 11 and it's early it's not late and like there are fights happening and people are getting mad and things are on fire and you're not sure why and it's just it's like unpleasant and getting worse and you can feel it getting worse quickly and that's like 2016 twitter and now it's you know you go a few years later and it's sponsored by heineken and supreme and tiktok and like you get like four different bands for different areas of the thing you can get into and you're like oh it's it's super corporate but at the same time nothing's on fire I don't like it. It's not as good as the, it was originally, but nothing's on fire. That's where we are now, and we're going back to the second party. Yeah, or like the the corporate party is getting grosser. Actually, you know, it, it's it's kind of a lot like bridge and tunnel bars in New York City. You know, Manhattan was like kind of a you know it was a dangerous place a little bit, and like people would kind of mingle in weird parts, and then they kind of fill up with like yuppies and bankers, and it gets really corporate. But then the cool people start to leave, and as it gets more corporate, it kind of gets like uglier and grosser. And then now it's like sticky Jello shots and like bad mechanical bulls, and like you know everyone has to like keep their drinks covered because it's full of predators. It's like that vibe now. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly where it is. And what we're saying is good. Twitter under Elon Musk is going to be like a Ibiza like three years ago. Yeah, but specifically the bit immediately after British exams are done and <laughs> everyone everyone finishes their, gets their A-level results and those people arrive. Like yeah. it's the in-betweeners bit of Ibiza. Yeah, like Elon Musk is turning Twitter into like a, a horrible tourist trap that used to be cu culturally relevant like 50 years ago. Yeah, and somehow it's also not even safe. 
Yeah, right. Because it's not safe. Because, I mean, also it's like Walmart. Like, you know, it's, which is just like, you know, a, a horrible place to be. And, and, and actually has this, I was reading about this a while ago, which is that Walmarts have become like such lawless zones that like it's causing like extra taxpayer money for police patrols because Walmart like doesn't care enough about their own stores to like make sure they're like places that people can be safe. Yeah. Good. I like that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that sounds good. That sounds great. I'm excited to see where that all goes. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we head into our big topic this week? I do. I think it is the right time now that the party, Twitter party has been not ruined, just made different and worse. Uh-huh. Uh, to talk about one of the greatest Twitter projects of all time. Uh, I'm going to throw this in the chat and yeah, just open it up and tell me what you see. Okay. This is a tweet from a user named Dan Douglas. <laughs> what wait 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 just okay read so the tweet is th- this is a very british reference so i might have to do some explaining here <laughs> so the tweet reads toby young sits alone on his stag doing weather spoons in duke nukem 3d <laughs> so it's part of a thread i'm going to scroll up to the top of this thread to see what's going hold on, on hold here on. i'm gonna I, i'll send you the first thing from the tweet thread one second it's so long i can't even find the top of it hold on hold on here's the first one okay i sent you the first one so what is this this is so it starts off with dan douglas writing thinking about reinstalling duke nukem 3d to recreate handcuff (laughs) (laughs) thinking (laughs) 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 okay thinking (laughs) okay Thinking about reinstalling Duke Nukem 3D to recreate Mac, Matt Hancock's office in the build engine featuring a working security camera. So uh, Matt Hancock, uh, former UK health secretary, is that what Correct. it was? Okay. Yeah. And he famously created a social network at one point called Matt Hancock, which was just basically like his private Facebook page, but as a, an entire social network. And it was called Matt Hancock, which is very funny. Okay. so hey, Elon that, Musk doesn't own that one. Not yet. Uh, so... Uh, Dan Douglas, he, he goes through the whole thread. Wait, but check, re- read the date on that thread, or that first tweet. Uh, this started in June 2021. So yeah. this is this is deep COVID. That, that's what this is. That This is the energy but, they wanted to I miss. mean, this is coming out of COVID. Yeah, sure. So uh, later on in the thread, he says, going all in on this now, scrapped my old rudimentary map entirely, and I'm rebuilding it from scratch with adjacent corridors, a CCTV room, outside areas. Wait, is this guy slowly building all of london in the in the duke nukem engine it's better than that if you go back to the original thread uh you should scroll to like down a little bit because the the tweet two tweets after that is fascinating okay so i finally found something up to the task and dicked around with it for ages and managed to get the art i wanted in there but there's a transparency no wait which one are you talking no no about? no so go back to the original tweet that i sent you uh-huh and then go to the tweet two after that this thread is so unmanageable. Hold on. Yes. Uh, like getting around it is impossible. He made Rowans. He made Rowans. Okay. So so what is this? What am I okay. looking at here? So here's what happened. This guy, Dan Douglas, had a – he basically, uh, middle of last year, uh, had like a mental health crisis. Uh, and one of the ways that he kind of dealt with that was that he found that it was quite useful to build – or concentrate because you know the 
the British NHS does many things, it does not do mental health well, uh, to build this project. And what this project is, is a navigable, destructible archive of every single British meme and bit of internet culture ever in Duke Nukem 3D. Yeah, so he he built a games workshop that has a working model of Henry Cavill in it. Yep. Uh, the first one you sent me, it's a Weatherspoons, which is an... Uh, if we had like 20 minutes, I could describe the cultural significance of Weatherspoons to Americans. <laughs> but it, think of it like a horrible chain pub. And it's Toby Young sitting alone on his stag do in Weatherspoons, which is a reference to uh, a horrible British columnist and author who couldn't get anyone to go to a stag do. He's built Rowan's, which is a bowling alley that Luke and I used to get very drunk at. Uh, hard to explain, but imagine like a Chuck E. Cheese that has a nightclub in it. Yeah. he He's built... A section of the map that has a lady putting her cat in a trash bin. I remember that one. Yeah, that was that that just happened. That was just he, that, he, that, his uh, Keir Starmer calling in an airstrike on a field of alpacas. Yeah, he uh, he has Nigel Farage getting milkshaked. He has a whole map that's just a W. H. Smith. Yep. Uh, full of best-selling books, I guess. Oh, people hiding their yeah. I remember that. Yep. Yeah, the airstrike on a field of alpacas, which is in the Great British Bake Off cooking uh, world. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. He has, uh, do you remember Richard Dawkins' tweet about honey? Yes. So in this, Richard Dawkins' honey is destructible, so you can shoot Richard Dawkins' honey out of his hand and deprive him of his honey. He has a dog from Snapchat dancing on Margaret Thatcher's, <laughs> uh, he has the hot dog dancing on Margaret Thatcher's grave. That's fantastic. Yep. <laughs> he has a gathering of lads. He has a crypto mining does um, he does he have the lads fighting with chairs? I don't know, man. It's a long thread, but I'm going to guess so. Uh, I'm, I'm scrolling through to see if I can find it, because it's got to be in here. Uh, wow, he built the inside of Rowan's, too. Yep. And these are good. Like these are, like, these are kind of beautiful in a weird way. I mean, it's incredible, because, like, it is... It is <laughs> There's so much stuff in here, but also he's got much better as he's done it over time. Yeah. So a lot of this early stuff, he's kind of gone back and replaced and been like, oh, it's better now. Uh, he has the England fan who drank 20 ciders, did coke and put a flare in his ass uh, in Duke Nukem 3D. I mean, what what I think is also kind of incredible is that like London as a city and British memes as like a, a, a visual language really lend themselves to something like yeah, this in a way big. that I don't think is true of New York. I don't think you could really collect... This many, like, oh my god, he has the come dine with me contestant who like yes. who gets really mad at everybody. Oh my god. He has George Galloway pretending to be a cat on Celebrity Big Brother. Yep. This is unbelievable. Can you it play is it? Is it playable? I believe it will be at some point. It's it's it like belongs in a museum. It is a museum. This it, is the metaverse. Yeah. If you want the metaverse, this is it. This is honestly one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. This is unbelievable. I'm I'm really this is incredible. Yeah, it is one of the best things I've ever seen. Like and yeah, he's been putting it for like yeah, like 9 months, but it's just it's perfect. Wow. Yeah, he's been going at it since last year. And the stuff looks like the stuff, which is I I think mm. kind of the most incredible part of it. There's a, at one point there's a billboard that just says where is your poppy citizen? Oh, that's so good. It's yeah. so good. It just, this is uh, honestly 
the easiest way to distill British culture, actually, I think, is through a Duke Nukem engine. Yeah, but also just because everything has so much... Everything's got such a, like... It's so hard to understand what's in there. Wait. Like, I, I'm confident you're going through and, and missing a bunch of stuff. There's a... <laughs> he's building a fully functional Nando's so that yeah. he can put a Change UK sticker in there. It's, it's, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I've never, I've never seen anything like this before. This is amazing. It is a genuine masterpiece. Wow, I love this. We got to talk to this guy. We got to find this yep. guy. We, we have to. We have to. Holy cow! Anyway, that is it. That is that is the greatest tribute to like Twitter and internet culture that's ever been created. Yeah, this is this is truly something really special. Uh, I can't believe Elon Musk owns this now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but it, to be fair, not if you put up a notice saying Elon Musk does not own this. That's right. You got to do that. You got to put up your notice to tell Elon Musk that he can't own your private feed. Yeah. Speaking of private feeds, I think it's time we talk about the slow possible death of uh, the most expensive and powerful personal feed you can have, which is your Netflix. So let's talk about the possible end of an era. <laughs> Yeah, it is wild that it is near. It is near. I don't know if it's the end of it. I mean, it's not the end of it. Bluntly, it, it will go on to be fine. It will probably be okay. It will probably have to retool a little bit, which you know, fair enough. What was what was your kind of immediate reaction to? Well, maybe we should explain the story first. Yeah. So a couple months ago, we described a similar kind of series of events at Facebook as Mark Zuckerberg's very bad week. I would say that Netflix is having a very bad week right now. Reed Hastings' very bad week? What's that? Reed Hastings. Oh, Reed Hastings. Yeah, I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, okay, sure. As the Atlantic's David Sims described it, the Netflix bubble is finally bursting. Basically, Netflix reported that they're losing users for the first time, and they're losing a lot of users. Yeah. They lost, they lost 200,000 users. Yeah, which is honestly not a huge amount probably in the grand scheme of things, but it's enough where it signaled uh, some real uh, fear from investors and their stock pl like plummeted. Their stock is not doing well. Yeah, it'd be a lot for us, for everyone else. For, for them, it, it's it's fewer. Well, it's causing a lot of morale issues because a lot of employees had a lot of stock, which is now <laughs> worth nothing, which I think needed yeah. to be uh, more prominently reported out, which I, I did not see in very many places this week. But my first reaction, to get back to your question, was, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> but I was going to do. Well, so I tried, to, I tried to sum this up a little bit in, in a couple Twitter threads, but I, I needed a space. I needed a safe space to go along. But I think if you make algorithmically optimized content, regardless of what kind of content it is, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that is that is a huge part of it, that the algorithm is saying do more of this sort of thing and they do more of this sort of thing. And then it's kind of not great. It's the promise is not good enough. So much of it is okay. Right. And it's like, it's not, it doesn't have that thing of, you don't come back to watch it. No. And I don't get the impression. Okay. So I want to, I want to pinpoint a moment for me 
which I, I also talked about on Twitter, but once again, want to go long. So uh, when HBO Go turned into HBO Max, which was, uh, it was very confusing time. In fact, there were tons of guides written about how to do it, but it was basically around, wasn't it like last year, basically, was when the official switch happened? I, th- I think so. I don't know. I mean, we can't get it in the UK, so. Right. There was like a whole weird period where like they all of these different HBO products existed. And then finally, they were all con- condensed into one thing, uh, which was basically throughout all of last year. Now there's HBO Max. HBO Max is kind of the, the de facto Warner Brothers platform. And I was like watching stuff on there. I was watching, I think, Doom Patrol or something. Some like uh, off the beat, off the beaten path kind of DC thing. And I remember just thinking like, wow, this is like genuinely great. This is like a really exciting thing. Meanwhile, like on Netflix, I was kind of losing interest with a lot of stuff on there. And also their Twitter accounts were just becoming like insufferable. They were using this like weird stilted language of fandom bloggers and they were pretending to be people. And they were like, they were using their Twitter accounts to pretend to be fans of their own content to almost like gibberish extremes, you know, like they were tweeting like random screenshots of actors being like, they are the moment. And it was like, what does this even mean? Yeah. You know, you, you are, you are making this right. I was kind of like, my first reaction was like, I hope you like this stuff, (laughs) but it also just felt, it felt very desperate. And I don't know if it created, it created like the realization that we're being extremely cynical about it. Yeah, it felt it felt very cynical. And when you started when I started to see that on social paired with some of the stuff that was coming out of Netflix, like these bizarre like algorithmically generated shows, uh, there's one really good one which is to say it was not good and it was like a nuclear apocalypse teen show. Oh, that's Okay. Which you can totally see, like, oh, yeah, like that makes sense. Uh, Matthew Broderick, who I'm not related to, uh, although I did once ask him in an elevator if we were, and he just didn't know what I was talking about. Oh, yeah, 2019, the show Daybreak came out. It is horrible. It's like, it's like, it's, it, it is like what radicalized chuds on YouTube think of all Netflix shows. It's like a performatively woke, algorithmically generated teen, not comedy thing about what it would be like to live in a high school that was in the post-apocalyptic Mad Max kind of thing. And it was just god-awful. Okay. And there's a ton of these shows where you're like, you can see the, the robot going like, this genre is performing well, and this genre is performing well. Let's combine them. And some of them are interesting, I, I guess. But for the most part, they're, they're all forgettable to the point where like, I had to like just Google that to remember its own you know, its name. And it keeps happening. Like they keep just shuffling things around. Um, I think to like show up in recommendations within their 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 homepage. Yeah, I mean they cancel just a vast vast number of shows. Like that, I think is is a is a big part part of it. Is that they're very very willing to cancel stuff. And one of the moments for me that crystallized like, oh, Netflix are odd, not bad, as odd, was when they cancelled uh, One Day at a Time. Oh, wait, was that like the sitcom? Yeah, it was a sitcom. It was a a Latino sitcom, basically. And they cancelled it after three seasons, uh, one of which was on a different network, but they they brought it over. And then they did this quite odd thread about it, which was basically we've made the difficult decision not to renew it. Uh, The choice didn't come easily. We, We thought about how to make another season work. But in the end, not enough people watched Justify Another Season. 
And like, okay, fine. I, I, that's kind of not a big problem. That's a bit like self-indulgent. But then the final tweet in the, that thread, but she was four, where they just said, thank you so much for everything you've done, all the actors and stuff. I was like, to anyone who felt seen or represented, don't take this indication your story is not important. The outpouring of love for the show is a firm reminder to us that we must continue finding ways to tell these stories. And it's like, hey, a really good way is to just renew it. <laughs> right. That's actually a really easy way to do this. Like, And it was that thing of just saying, like, no, no, it's super important to us. Not enough to, 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 to spend any money on it, but it's important to us in theory. And it that, was so cynical and fake that it, yeah. Th- that's the thing that, and I, I want to be clear, like, obviously Netflix, like most companies, their social teams aren't the ones writing their shows. Like, that's just not how any company works. No, of course not. But I do think a lot of Netflix originals that get stuck in this, like, weird algorithmic feedback loop go through this process where it's like, okay, we've identified these user groups. Because from what I understand of how Netflix works is that it's constantly sorting users into buckets and then into sub-buckets. And from what I understand is like every time you watch something on Netflix, the algorithm resorts you into user pockets. And then it like it recommends uh, content based on what kind of po- pocket or bucket, you know, a group you're in. Yeah. And then in what seems clear to me i pulled up i pulled up a a list on wikipedia of original program from netflix which is kind of wild to go through because there's more than you'd think and also way less in a weird way but what's also crazy is that like it's it's all kind of like it feels extremely random but then it also it, it seems to me like they're just connecting user buckets um so you get things like Sweet Tooth, which is a fantasy drama, or you get things like um, Lock and Key, which is a family drama that's also supernatural. You get uh, uh, Grace and Frankie, which is a sick. I love Grace and Frankie. I love that show so much. Uh, but it's like a it's like a sitcom, but it's like micro targeted at like a very specific age demographic. And a lot of this is stuff that like traditional TV does too, but it just seems way more blatant here. So that's like that's part of the the feedback loop. But then what happens is they they do these shows to get them into the recommendation engine, and then they just sort of promote them nonstop, and then they sort of feed that back into larger algorithms happening on Twitter or on Facebook, on you on YouTube, Instagram, what have you, and their social teams like try to push it over and over again. And it creates this like weird cycle where it just feels like Netflix content is constantly in conversation with its own bubble in this weird way. Like it doesn't make any sense is what I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing though, is that creators have always complained about not getting really any feedback on their stuff. Like they think their numbers are good. They're not sure. And then they get a call and they're like, oh, they're canceled. And part of that is supposed to be because Basically, the way most TV contracts are written is that the second season starts to get really expensive. Right. Sorry, the, that's not true. The third season starts to get really expensive. Oh, interesting. Like, the, okay. yeah, like it's not it's not the immediate next season as you'd imagine because everyone like they sign the contract and they sign the contract the follow up season and then the third season everyone's price goes up. So what actually you end up with happening is a load of shows get cancelled coming into the second season because essentially there's nothing like they've put it out. They've tested it against their markets. If it's had, you know, X percentage click through, X percentage watch to end, X percentage what immediately what in next episode, and all these sort of advanced metrics they use, they go right. Not enough. Not enough has happened here. It's cancelled. And so it's it's just incredibly common that you get a little bit of a show enough to be like, oh, maybe there's something here. Nope, it's gone. And like the number of shows you can think of that have been cancelled after 
two seasons is really high. It's not it's not as high as number say shows cancelled after one, which is you know not that surprising. But yeah, so decide to have a list of seventy two shows that have been cancelled on Netflix, and they reckon of those, uh, forty three have been cancelled after one season, and then eighteen have been cancelled after two. So that's nearly quarter of all their shows have been cancelled after two seasons oh yeah weird i'm on a ma- i'm on another wikipedia article which is every single canceled show from netflix it's much longer than the other wikipedia article <laughs> i was looking at and the majority of them are canceled after two seasons a lot of them are canceled around three but what's also really interesting to me like looking at these obviously you see more of the same sort of hybrid shows that in my opinion reek of algorithmic meddling like yeah. Uh, I mean, God, uh, the good cop is a police procedural comedy drama. Like oh, Jesus. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's like hit as many user buckets as we can get. Dear white people is both drama and satire, and also you know, uh, you know, social justice politics. To be fair, that was based on a film. I'm a wit- think, well. Th- yeah. That only adds. To, of course, it, it was based on a film that was already on the platform. Like you, you, you have these hybrid shows all over the place. But then the other thing that that I think kind of stands out when you start to look at these is that a lot of them feel very much like they were created to juice new subscribers and then like quietly kind of killed off after they got those subscribers in the door. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly it. And I think that Netflix has... Netflix has just absolutely done that, that it has created these things and been like, hey, this is the star that, you know, we've, we've put in this movie with this movie star... Uh, this brought in X number of new subscribers. Therefore, we put that star in this sort of movie. It brings in this number. And job yeah. done. And you can also tell that, which, so uh, I love, I, I and one, one thing that, you know, I was sort of imagining like, okay, like what if Netflix like disappeared tomorrow and like things got really bad? One of the saddest things I think for me is that Netflix right now has some of the, is like the most incredible directory of international uh, TV and movies that's ever existed in human history all in one place. Like like something like Squid Game, you know, would have never appeared to the world the way it did without Netflix. No. Uh, we, we can get Parasite and it can be in, you know, it can be in smaller art house theaters and slowly become a cultural phenomenon that way. But we're not going to get a Squid Game. We're not going to get a show that I really love called Into the Night, which is like this bonkers Belgian show about the sun killing people. Uh, you're, you're not going to get- It should be pointed out, like Squid Game was made- uh, by Netflix, but I don't think Into the Night was. I thought Into the Night was a was is that an original Netflix show? I thought it was. Oh no, it was. Okay, sorry. Yeah, more, and also with, with, just said. was also with inter, uh, with international ones. It gets kind of wonky because they buy international shows, then present them as Netflix originals in different markets. So it gets really confusing. But if you had to guess which international market has the most canceled Netflix shows, what do you think it is? It's got to be Spanish language, right? It, it's it's got to be like Mexico. It's Spanish, yeah. Uh, which on on Wikipedia they combine the Spanish speaking market into one thing, which um, is not fair. But yeah, actually on one of these, another hybrid show. But I really liked it because it was it was really bad. But I really liked it. It was called uh, Diablero. I may have even talked about it on a Content Minds episode. But it was kind of like a Mexican Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But instead of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it was like this like horrible like Mexico City hipster who drove around like in a Cadillac killing witches and demons and stuff and there's like a sexy priest and like his friend was like a haunted Instagram influencer it was I really liked it, it was, but um once again like a hybrid show canceled way too early uh How I many seasons uh it got uh two seasons there you go I know um I really oh, I really liked that show but what what I think is like 
really obvious here when you look at this list is that these shows are released in different markets. They keep you for two seasons because they want to be able to say, like, we've captured the Mexican market. We've captured the German market. And then once they've got them locked in, they're like, okay, like production's paid for, time to cancel it and move on. And every time they want to like juice their numbers in a certain territory, they just make a new show there. And they also kind of know like with Spanish markets, at least like there's Money Heist, which will just, I think is now yeah, over yeah. finally, but Money Heist dominated basically all of Latin America and all of Spanish speaking countries. But although they're making a Korean version, which I'm very interested in. That is interesting. Yeah. But you can kind of see them doing this stuff that like a lot of tech companies did before them, which was map out um, uh, markets based on internet breakthrough, then start algorithmically generating content that they can then declare as like a regional original without thinking about like how that translates into long-term success. And so then it turns into a thing like this week where you find out they're like people are leaving and it's all kind of stale and weird and they're running out of money. But it's, it's not, but it's, it's also the, I mean- there is some business stuff here. It was built on a vast amount of debt, which was yeah, bad. Huge, you should do that. But it's also that as a result of kind of the algorithmic generated stuff, the good isn't good enough. I have an enormous list of stuff that I have been meaning to watch on Netflix. I have stuff that has been on that list for years. Like some of that is just because I don't watch. <laughs> there is more stuff that I can watch. But an awful lot of the time, I'm just like, I'm never going to get to this. I'm never going to have enough time to watch this random movie, which seems like it fits my my what I'd like to watch, but not well enough that I would actually eventually watch it at some point. Yeah. Like, have you ever had that time when you've been like, oh, I have like four spare hours or something. I'm going to watch a movie. Uh, there'll be something on Netflix I want to watch. And somehow you go through it all and you're like, I don't want to watch any of this. No. It, and what's it was really interesting is like the binging model seems to have compounded over time where it's like there'll be a day where I'll watch – what feels like all of Netflix. And then there'll be other days when there's just nothing there that interests me. I'm also, I'm, I'm kind of reeling right now because going through this canceled show list, I just discovered that a show I really like has been canceled and I didn't know about it. <sighs> and now I'm really bummed out. It was it, once again, a classic algorithmically generated hybrid show. It was called kingdom and it was honestly sick. It was what if a zombie outbreak happened in feudal Korea and it was so good. Uh, one of the actors from uh, Sense8 was in it. Another show that I love that was canceled. Yeah, two seasons. Yeah, once again. Uh, two seasons in a movie, though, thankfully. They got to, they got to finish that story, uh, which was important for me. But the uh, I, I know what you mean, where like you'll sit there and you'll spend like a whole weekend watching something. And then there's like three weeks that go by where you're like, there's actually nothing to watch. And I imagine some of that's related to COVID. But... I do also wonder if it's it's just them kind of like almost training us over time to con like consume content in like weird bursts that are kind of unhealthy and unreasonable. And now like we're kind of hooked on it. I mean, I think that what that is one of the smartest things of the Disney Plus model that, yeah, let me let me watch something and then have a week with it and then have, watch something else and have another week with it. It's great. I'm really enjoying, I, I mean, not to spoil culture, culture we consume to stay sane. But Moon Knight, it's great. It is. Want to talk about that? Uh, it, it is. Although I, I, I don't want to go too off topic, but I do think Disney Plus hasn't quite figured out how to make shows that are good watched week to week yet. All right. Well, listen to the end of this podcast and then go follow us to our bonus other podcast. Yeah, go, go to our bonus episode. We'll talk more about it. But yeah, so I, what, what I do think... The, the, I want to I want to move to a new segment, and I want to launch off that segment with a question for you, which is, 
if if the Netflix model isn't working or it's wavering, what comes next? Well, one of the things that I think always has been under recognized about Netflix, and we have made this point multiple times in this podcast, is the extent to which people had Netflix because of its library content, not because of its actual content. Right. When you scroll through what is actually the most watched thing in any given week on Netflix in the UK, it's typically all the series of Modern Family or Friends or whatever it is, which I think is is what people are actually paying for on Netflix is not the brand new content that might be the thing that gets in the door but what they're paying for week to week is that library content but that content has a shelf life because eventually other networks have said hey we gave you this for like a million dollars and you've clearly made a vast quantity of money off it we're having it back now and then it, it goes away and it disappears to somewhere else so what you end up with instead is a very fragmented market briefly netflix worked because it for three or four years was where you watched everything because it had everything and now it doesn't have everything because now other people have the rest of the stuff. And therefore, the idea of paying $9.99 or $6.99 or $11.99 or whatever it is now, $14.99, I think, geez, for access to some of the things is not nearly as appealing. Right. So I think I think what comes next is a lot more channel hop. And I think probably will, people will end up with like one of their baselines. And I think in the UK, it's going to be super interesting because we have iPlayer, which is free, and we have ITV Player, which is free, and we have all four, which is free. So like four of our main channels, all of their stuff is free. So that's probably most people's baselines. And then I think that people are going to add on Disney Plus for a few months and watch stuff there or Netflix for a few months and watch stuff there. And then they'll cancel that, move to the next one, cancel that, move to the next one. And I think, yeah, that probably means the enormous gold rush of talent to take this Netflix money quickly is probably going to dry up. Yeah. Like they're not going to make $200 million TV series that don't do anything. Someone said that Netflix made a show which cost was their most expensive ever show and cost like $200 million. And I'll be honest, I had not heard of it. What was it? Jupiter's Legacy. Oh, I heard that show was horrible. Wasn't that part of the Mark Miller universe thing? It was. It was. So yeah, Mark Miller, he's like this really edgy comic book guy. Uh, he made Kick-Ass. He made The Kingsman. He's got weird beef with like other comic book writers. And Netflix wanted to like make him like the Kevin Feige, Zack Snyder of his own cinematic universe or something. And Jupiter's Legacy is what it was called. No yeah. one watched it. And apparently it was just horrible. It had its first season. Uh, had the same budget as the final season of Game of Thrones <laughs> and the first season, sorry, and the second season of The Mandalorian put together. Put together? Yeah. Holy shit, man. It's I mean, $200 million. I'm sorry. That's just crazy. Based on, yeah. I mean, to do that around intellectual property that's not known at all or hasn't been on TV for a decade like Game of Thrones, like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. And I've never I just I've never I'd never heard of it. I attempted to watch it and I couldn't get through like the first scene. It was just, it was awful. What I also think is really interesting is that if Netflix's time in the sun is ending, right? Or, or if their sort of industry superiority is dwin is dwindling and they're possibly going to either drop their paywall or go ad supported, what's going to be really interesting is how much havoc that's going to cause on their content. Uh, in the same way that, you know, the Facebook video, as we think of it, or as we used to think of it, the sort of like silent auto playing, you know, AJ plus yeah. the Dodo video, it was created 
for a specific kind of feed and a specific kind of algorithmic recommendation. The same way that vlogging on YouTube has evolved to fit the algorithms of YouTube or TikTok dances, etc. So if 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 Netflix starts to change how they distribute content, like for instance, they put in ad breaks or <laughs> they you know, drop their paywall so they don't need to produce massive gargantuan seasons of TV to hook you. The death of the Netflix bingeable season could be on the horizon because no one else wants to do it. I mean, yeah, I guess bingeable. No, they probably don't do that. No, no. Amazon Prime doesn't do it. Disney Plus doesn't do it. HBO Max doesn't really do it. They're the they're like kind of the only holdout who's still doing the like full season of TV dropping at once. Which like bluntly, if you wanted to, if you really wanted to, and you said, okay, I'm gonna, uh, you know, I don't have much on in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm gonna get Netflix for a month, and I am gonna watch like the four season, the four series that I want to watch. And you watch a four series and you cancel it. What is that? That is nothing to them. But they are, you you can easily do that now because they released it all at once. It's not like. Oh, I've heard amazing things about the show. I'm going to watch it, and then I'm going to watch this. Can you imagine how big Squid Game would have been if they had released it week by week? Would it have though? Oh, it would have. I'm not. I'm not totally convinced. Only because I think Netflix shows narratively they've gotten so good at it that I think all of them work better bingeable. In uh, in in fact. The frustration level I hit when I realized there was a second part of the final season of Ozark was like violent. <laughs> I think for the most part, the Netflix show works better as one thing. Like like imagine how frustrating season one of Daredevil would have been if it had been released week to week. Yeah, Daredevil's – I mean Daredevil's a good example for, of like how disappointing a show would have been and most of the shows are disappointing. But I think, yeah, Squid Game, building up tension every week and like it took like four or five weeks to kind of ramp up but if that ramp up in popularity had happened and it's still been on true i mean it would have been the biggest show in the world like i think it was for a while but the fan theories would have been insane <laughs> like, yeah, as it was there were no fan theories no like there were no squid game fan theories because it was done and also like the twist would have dropped and people would have like yes killed they would have killed each other yeah so i agree with you there I I I, well, I don't know if Yellow Jackets came to the UK. It's a great show about girls uh, on a soccer team, uh, and the, uh, they crash land in the woods, and one of them gets eaten, and you're watching the whole show to see who gets eaten. Uh, yeah. You don't, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is a great concept for a show, which I will point out doesn't feel like a hybrid show to me. That just feels like an original piece of television. Yeah. And and that that's the side of this that I'm actually the most interested in, which is that when the when the Netflix model starts to get tweaked and starts to change, how will that impact the content that Netflix is putting out? Because Netflix, it's in that sick cycle that's so classic for digital media companies where they've created the metrics that they need to hit and they've created the algorithm that helps them hit the metrics they need to hit. And now they're creating the content that fits the algorithm that fits the metrics they need to hit. And they're just stuck in this thing. And if they break that thing, Historically, I can't think of a company that has been able to pivot away successfully. Any Facebook publisher, any digital media publisher, any production company that sort of attaches itself to an algorithm, when it tries to break free of that algorithm, it almost never succeeds. But I also think that it was not beholden to its own algorithm in the same way because, I don't know, okay, my actual theory about Netflix is it kind of goes back to the people weren't watching the good shows on it which is that yeah people treated it like a library and its algorithm kept revealing that and netflix kept trying to beat its own algorithm 
and it kept trying to spend more and more money on shows that would blow up its algorithm and be like, oh, this is the only thing anyone's watching this week. And it did it a few times, but you can't sustain that. You can't constantly like beat your numbers. You, you can't beat your average. Like that. You, you, you regress to the mean eventually. And what they instead have done is try and kind of just keep doing that rather than be like, what we're going to do is we're going to spend 10 years building our own show so that we are going to have a huge library of stuff that people love to watch in the background and we are going to have our own library, which would be much, much cheaper to do. Well, in in a weird way, it's it, like they face the same problem as YouTube, chose the opposite way to deal with it, and I think are going to pay the price harder than YouTube. So both YouTube and Netflix have this algorithm that works really, really well at giving people what they want and keeping them there. Yeah. But the problem with that is that people watch really bad shit that sucks ass and is embarrassing. <laughs> and if you want important cultural tastemakers to work with you and your algorithm, you have to, as you just said, outrun the algorithm. You have to create prestige content that can do better than the garbage slop that all of us little piggies want to consume on a daily basis. YouTube tried for a while and then they finally gave up. YouTube originals, YouTube bread, all that shit. It's all gone. What they've done in the last, I feel like they've had like kind of a lost couple of years, but I have found myself consuming more YouTube content on a daily basis than almost ever before now, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Part of the reason for that is that I can go down on like a infinite rabbit hole of different hobbies and interests and find like cool videos to watch. And for the most part, I don't get Nazi shit as much as I used to. And things are, things are pretty good that way. Actually, there was there was a study out the other week which I thought was really really interesting, where someone basically did a an analysis of kind of post 20, 2021 onwards, um, what whether or not the rabbit hole thing was true anymore, and it seems to not be. In if you watch alternative content, you don't get recommended extremist content. In my experience, like I can stay in my little bubble and it and it's good and interesting, and I can watch like comic recaps and movie reviews and uh, old hardcore dudes talking about warp tour drama, and like I'm happy. Yeah. Good. Well done, well done, YouTube, for fixing that. I would say, though, that part of that, though, was YouTube leaning into their strength, which was an infinite library of passive content. Yeah. Netflix went the other way, and they're like, we're going to spend ungodly amounts of money to continually outrun our own algorithm, to try to win Oscars, to try to woo bigger and bigger directors and stars and actors, and basically reinvent the entirety of Hollywood at while fighting our own recommendation system. When they could have done what you said, which was just make a lot of content that people can watch on a Saturday afternoon, which is hilariously what UK broadcasters have been doing ex like better than anyone else in the world for like two decades. Which is the exact problem they've then run into with that I've mentioned on this podcast multiple times, which is they cannot make a good reality show. Right. The because UK, they don't understand. Yeah. They the, think that people want to have like explosive moments. They don't realize that people just want to while away their lives watching this yes. for hours and hours on end. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 we're going to compress it. It's going to take six episodes. The first episode is introductions. The last two episodes are reunions. It's four episodes. It's three episodes of things happening. So like, what the fuck are you doing? Exactly. And what's even funnier is that one of their biggest competitors already – uh, HBO Max is combining with Discovery and Discovery has Discovery Plus and very soon HBO Max and Discovery Plus without CNN Plus will become <laughs> one thing. Discovery Plus is HGTV, which is just home improvement shows. Discovery Plus is the Discovery Channel, which is just 
basically like shows about Alaska at this point, like reality shows about Alaska. And then they also have like a bunch of just random shit on like TLC Bravo. I'm pretty sure is in there. It's just nothing but low stakes reality show content. There's no way that Netflix can compete with that. In my opinion. No, it's like, Hey, do you want to watch one of these endless things of a show where you know what's going to happen? And it's fine because you're not really watching it because you're doing something else at the same time. You're cooking dinner or whatever you're doing. Or do you want to sit and watch this thing, which we may be nominated for seven Oscars and right. it hasn't won any of them because that's what Netflix does. I'm sure power of the dog or whatever it's called is great, but like, I don't want to do homework and Oscar movies are homework. <laughs> like they're not. They're very rarely also fun. And I'm not saying that Avengers Endgame should win uh, an Oscar because I think that's another form of homework that doesn't. You know, we're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> but it, HBO Max has, I think, figured out a, a, an easier model, which is just like we have a massive library. Our app kind of sucks ass, and you're going to get like a new prestige drama that comes out week to week that you can talk about on Twitter, and then that's that's our whole deal. And in my opinion, that is like way more reasonable than uh, having an entire content blast 24-7 of like weird algorithmically generated shows that don't make any sense really. And then the minute if like if you get invested in one, the minute you do, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't I don't see from a from a user perspective or even a business perspective how that can can continue. Because it was a cheat in a, in a certain way. Like it's a, it's a subscriber cheat. Like you're, you're, you're getting people emotionally invested in randomly mishmashing content together and then pulling it away. Once you've got their dollars long enough over a period of time that they've paid for the production of that show, which I just don't think at, uh, bodes well for long-term satisfaction. I just don't see that. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's a retention thing. Like if you are, your sign up to watch Ozark or Narcos or whatever you sign up to watch, you will stay signed up because you are halfway through the third season of Friends and every now and again, you're going to watch another episode of it. I mean, Narcos is an interesting one where like I'm a big, it's unfortunate. I'm really sorry. This is the most toxically masculine thing about me. I swear. I love Narcos. <laughs> I love that show. Uh, I watched it. I watched all of them. I, and then when it ended, I started watching spinoffs and the spinoffs were good for a little bit. But they slowly start to fizzle out in the same way. And you could see a model there where it's like, okay, the Narcos model. It's like, okay, Ozark is ending. Now we're going to follow like us. We're going to do the Narcos cinematic universe. Okay. I, I don't know how long that would last. I don't know how well that would go. Disney Plus is experimenting with this right now with the Star Wars and Marvel shows. But yeah, it, to me, without something like that, Netflix runs into the same problems that Facebook has had for a decade, which is that you get a lot of activity by pissing people off in a short period of time, but you don't keep them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So to finish off here, the last thing uh, I want to do is a little game. All right. Okay. I'm going to describe the genres of a canceled Netflix show, and I'll give you the year, and then you have to tell me what it is. Okay. Okay. Okay, right. Okay. This was canceled in 2019, and it's described on Wikipedia as a supernatural martial arts drama. Supernatural martial arts drama. Oh, oh, uh, is it is it Daredevil? Woo Assassins. Sure. I wasn't going to get that, I'll be honest. Actually, one of the guys in Woo Assassins uh, was in a season of Daredevil. 
is pretty good, uh, but uh, not good enough to last, I guess. Okay, uh, what's another good one? Uh, one that you might know. Okay, here's one you might know. It's described as a superhero fiction, crime drama, conspiracy thriller, and it was canceled in 2017. Superhero fiction, uh, crime drama, Jessica Jones or Daredevil again? I don't know. The Punisher. Oh, okay, right. All right. Well, Jessica Jones is described as superhero fiction, neo noir, psychological thriller. Of course, of course. Okay. Uh, what's uh, what's I want to find one that you that you can actually guess here. Okay, this is a miniseries. It ended in 2020, uh, and it's described as a coming of age period drama. It was very, it was very popular, especially in your country. Coming of age period drama, uh, Bridgerton. It's a miniseries that ended in 2020. Oh, um, a period drama. It's uh, it, it's it's algorithmic mishmash genres are coming of age period drama. I don't know. I have no idea. The Queen's Gambit. Fucking hell. Okay, sure. Okay, I got one more. One more. Let's see. Let's see if you can do this one. This one was pretty big. I think you might know it. It's described as a horror gothic romance. And it was a miniseries that ended in 2020. Dude, I can't remember any of uh, I can't remember any horror shows on Netflix ever. The Haunting of Bly Manor, the follow-up to The Haunting of Hill House. Sure. It okay. Took, it took place in the UK. There's plenty of British people in it. There's a lot of British people, man. I <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, you did great, bud. Uh <laughs> 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 you did you did good. Hey, Luke, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? Uh, yeah, I would like to talk about Moon Knight. Okay. What episode are you up to at the moment? I am up to date, but I think I won't be up to date when this comes out, which is great. Right. So, so uh, what uh, you're- I've seen episode four. You've seen episode four. Okay, cool. And what would you give it uh, out of five? Uh, the first three episodes, like, I, I, I don't know, a, a, a three, two, three. Uh, and then after episode four, I'm like, okay, this is a four. This could go somewhere now. I, I agree with you. I'm very into it ap- after episode four. Okay. I want to talk about uh, a Netflix show, unfortunately, that I'm sure <laughs> will be canceled. Uh, but it's called Yakimos S245. And it's a... Tur- uh, yeah, no, I, I just saw a news that that's been canceled. Has it? No. No. <laughs> oh. Uh, I, uh, it's a Turkish spinoff of Into the Night. So it's all about a second group of people going through a cataclysmic weather event in which the sun radiates people from the inside out and kills them. And these people have to survive on a nuclear submarine. (laughs) It's great. And I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, And hopefully we can get this episode out before it's removed from Netflix's library. Thank you guys for listening to the show. Thank you guys for supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show and you don't already, uh, you can listen to our mini-sodes over at thecontentminds.com. We do a little recap of what we're watching and reading and talking about this week over there. Uh, We always take requests as well. So if there's something you want us to, uh, you know, expose ourselves to, there's a better word, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, We'll take a request. 
I'd like to thank Seven Morris for the wonderful editing and soundscapes of this episode. And please leave a comment on your app of choice, your your review of choice, as if you were a Netflix yeah. executive canceling this show. And <laughs> yes. you have to explain why it's it's done. But give us a positive review. Yeah. Right. Thank you, guys. See you next week. 